0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hi everyone, welcome to New Books in Sociology, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, Ritupanna Padkiri, and today I'm going to be in conversation with Emily Contour and Jenya Kish. Emily Contwa is an Assistant Professor of Media Studies at the University of Tulsa. She holds a PhD in American Studies from Brown University, as well as an MLA in Gastronomy from Boston University, and an MPH in Public Health Nutrition from the University of California, Berkeley. In addition to numerous articles, book chapters, and public essays, she is the author of Diners, Dudes, and Diets, How Gender and Power Collide in Food, Media, and Culture published by the University of North Carolina Press, 2020. Jenya Keith is an assistant professor of media studies and associate director of the Oklahoma Center of the Humanities at the University of Tulsa. Her work explores digital agriculture, food media, and philanthropy. She is a co-editor and contributor to a forthcoming special issue of New Media and Society on Farm Media and also serves as an associate editor of the Journal of Cultural Economy. Currently, she is writing a book on the philanthropic capitalist media culture. Emily Contois and Jenny Akesh are the the co-editors of Food Instagram, Identity, Influence and Negotiation, published by the University of Illinois Press in 2022. It is this very book that we will be discussing today. I'm very happy to have both of you here and welcome you to this discussion. Thank you so much for having us. Right. Lovely Uh, to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, Let's begin by talking a little bit about how the idea of the book came to you and you know, what its scope is like.
0: Certainly. So an editor actually reached out to me. There isn't a book on food Instagram, Emily, and there should be. Um, And as a junior faculty member, I was in the throes of, you know, writing and editing, you know, my first book, Diner's Dudes and Diets. But I couldn't let it go. As we look to the landscape of digital food studies and where there's content and great writing about food, food Instagram still hadn't been covered. This book didn't exist and it needed to. And so when I reached out to mentors, they said, ah, well, if you're going to take on an edited volume, you should take on um, a really fantastic co-editor. And so I was so lucky that Zenya and I were hired at the same time into a really forward-thinking department of media studies that thinks food studies is media studies and very warmly embraced this project as one that we took on to together. And so we worked together on a CFP that we sent out into the world and got dozens and dozens of really fascinating abstracts as we thought about what could the landscape that we could lay out in this book look like. And so I think as I reflect, right, like we're so proud of our introductory chapter, which really charts this course, right? The history of our ideas of thinking about food visually, um, as well as thinking productively about the visual ecosystem that is Instagram, that an edited collection was actually um, the right output to really tackle this, Um, that we could have done a very interesting co-authored book, but to do an edited collection Uh, that has 17 chapters from 22 contributors from all around the world telling really interesting case studies with different methodologies uh, that represent 12 different countries. Um, We could truly tackle um, the, the vastness Right, of what you could cover thinking about food Instagram, a topic that up until that point had been quite dismissed um, as a platform that was just about beautiful photos of food, that perhaps too much about leisure, about a sort of middle class or even affluent sense of luxury, one that was sort of feminized, and had been dismissed as uh, more sustained academic attention had turned to Twitter or Facebook as spaces for. Political conversations, for branding, um, you know, for that idea of the public square that we continue to debate. And so part of what we wanted to recapture and claim and defend in this book is the significant contributions of Instagram to exactly those sorts of conversations as well. But I'll pass it to Zenya as she thinks about our work at the beginning of this project
1: yeah I think one of the things that um this book does so well and it's really thanks to how widely our cFP traveled and all the work that we put into sort of reaching out to to um to folks you know globally that that this book really um uh, has a very very broad reach and especially beyond Euro-American scholarship, which tends to be the dominant voices in the room when we're talking about digital media. A lot of media studies is very focused on those Euro-American frameworks and examples, and and the same can be said, you know, um, perhaps to a lesser extent, but it, it is still um, uh, plays in in food studies. And so we really um, are able to draw out, you know, uh, voices and viewpoints, case studies beyond that simply the global norm. Um, and to think about how these um, media and food... Transformations and trends, um, travel, how they are picked up, how they are used in many different spaces by many different, uh, differently positioned subjects. So we have case studies in aesthetic and economic and political uses of food across the platform. We really go beyond those those um, the things you first think of when you say food media. So we we definitely discuss a lot of the the you know um, expected images of food pornography and the kinds of typical, desirable, highly commercialized, highly uh, advertised foods and food cultures and the sort of fitness and diet um, cultures that are associated with Instagram. We treat those and we place them into conversation with many other less expected case studies. Um, And so that's one of the things that makes this book so interesting. And we also present a, a lovely range of um, of comparative case studies, and also the way that food media migrates between contexts, whether that's geographical, historical, um, or, or or generic across different digital um, and media genres. So, for instance, how do how are the food media ecologies of Thailand and Australia linked um, through social media, celebrity, and and transmedia, um, uh, production of, of food um, uh, of food content? Um, how is it that we can look at at the political context in Brazil and, and Italy and think about the, the rise of the political right and how social media, and in particular the use of food imagery, is integral to, to um, developing certain kinds of political subjectivity and, and, and public reach. Um, and so, so that kind of transnational scope really offers um, rich methodological and, and, um, and content-driven diversity in, across the book.
2: Right. So you do talk about bringing together an edited collection with diverse methodological approaches to study of food, specifically on the social media platform Instagram. So if I wanted to ask you that, you know, could you comment on some of the methods that, you know, the authors have used in looking at food and Instagram, uh, if you could talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. So one of the methods that we pushed everyone um, was visual analysis,
0: that we were very pleased that University of Illinois Press could support us with a grant from our university uh, to be able to publish all of the images in color and so in every chapter there aren't just illustrations, there are really beautiful images um, that the authors are pushed, right, That with every round of review, um, working with everyone to think more deeply about what the images were doing, what is the interplay between the visual and the textual um, as we lean to the tools of um, close reading, of deep reading, of thick description um, that there are very interdisciplinary approaches. Um, There's history. There's, um, you know, feminist approaches, thinking about power all throughout the platform, um, perspectives from literature. Um, We have one chapter um, on health food influencers that had a slightly larger data set and was looking at, you know, all of the posts and doing sort of a more coded content analysis there. Um, So those are a few that come to mind. What are you thinking of, Zinnia, when we reflect on the methodological influence of the book? (laughs) it's
1: really a rich collection and that's what makes each chapter (laughs) so fun to read because each chapter offers a different case study but also a somewhat original or different approach and so uh, as digital ethnography is expanding as a kind of um, maybe a bucket list uh, method there are a lot of things that you can bring to studying digital content Um, we we have as Emily mentioned the historical we have um, analysis quantitative analysis of large data sets so some of our authors are considering things like the use of hashtags in a particular place. Like, what does the hashtag food porn? What does it do in France, <laughs> for instance, on the French internet? Um, what, how does it function in different capacities, and how is it, how does it attach to different kinds of images? Um, what does uh, what? What is the meaning of food visuality that it instantiates and demarcates? Um, uh, But we also, uh, we draw on, uh, we have authors who do things like um, different kinds of ethnographic and interview-driven approaches. So we have a couple of authors who toured around biscuit restaurants in the U.S. South and spent a lot of time not only um, engaging with the visual feeds of these biscuit restaurants, but in the spaces, walking through the cities and the neighborhoods, walking through the the restaurant district, um, spending time exploring, like, what is the the design and layout of the restaurant themselves? And how is that um, conducive to or, or designed for a particular kind of digital visuality um, that's easy to snap and post on your feed? Um, and then the food itself, how, how is food something that you actually have to Physically material engage with while also studying its visual representation. So we have um, a whole range of authors who spend time in um, restaurants and in kitchens and um, in the places where food originates. So on farms, in fields, um, at farmers markets, thinking about, OK, what are all the spaces of food production and how does that translate into these emerging digital forms of, of, of visual representation? Um, Representation. Um, we have a little bit of political economy in there, so um, some of our authors also look to um, wh- what does labor look like across the the, the food visual value chain. Um, so, what are the different kinds of work that do appear on our screens in digital media, and those that maybe are more um, shunted to the shadows, or hidden, or deliberately sort of um, left out of the frame? So, what's the work of preparing food, of growing it, of transporting it, of, of Editing um, the the content and moderating the content that keeps our feeds sort of full of the kinds of images that that the platforms want us to see, but also protects us from those that that um, that uh, that they don't want us to see. Um, and then uh, and a lot of these different methods really. Um, come together in interesting ways to ask questions that kind of um, are interdisciplinary in their scope. So from the direction of ethnography, but also content analysis, but also quantitative analysis, our authors are collectively asking, what is the content (laughs) we we want to define as we we identify it as our, our subject of study? So It's an interesting methodological question to even ask, what is the food image on Instagram? Is it just what literally the the photographic frame within the post? How does it interact with the text around it? How do feeds as a whole produce galleries, produce time spans, produce narratives across time, and also as they migrate to different platforms? So our authors are really asking methodologically, how do we How do we identify, how do we frame, and how do we track and follow these complex um, digital media productions? Um, And so in that way, methodologically, we're opening up, I think, a lot of interesting questions about about, um, keeping up with these um, digital media that turn over and change so quickly, and that also offer new features that will arrive and stay for a while, like IGTV, Instagram TV, which was current and relevant to some of our authors. They were studying some of the television production that was being done. And that's since been dropped by Instagram. It didn't really take off in the way that they were hoping it would to compete with um, other video platforms like TikTok. Um, and so, so some of our authors have had to figure out, OK, well, how do we, how do we capture that moment in time? Um, and tell that story in a way that's relevant to you know different features as they come come along, like stories and other things in this constantly changing digital um, eco- environment.
2: Right. So, if I ask you, uh, what does the book? exactly bring to Instagram or digital media studies, uh, what would you uh, tell me, you know, in terms of uh, maybe something new to the uh, theoretical framework or methodological approaches? I'll toss that one to Zinnia. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Digital media studies is,
1: of course, rightly focused on the relationships between technologies and people. How is society um, impacted by, how does it contribute to um, new technologies, and, and what are the impacts as they get introduced and as they change? So, you know, a lot of digital studies is already thinking, digital media studies is already thinking about the technological features and design of platforms, the structure of technology industries, and the lot of interesting work on on the content of our digital media questions of speech privacy ownership identity digital content and advertising um, the attention economy different forms of engagement and so so we engage with all of those questions across the book but we also draw out and, and bring into sharper focus um certain dimensions of of digital media and instagram in particular that that don't um, get perhaps as much attention as, as as they really warrant. So things like um, the importance of embodiment and affect, the place of bodies in interacting with um, our digital media platforms, that's something that is front and center whenever we talk about food, food cultures and consumption. We can't not think about embodiment and our physical material engagement with the food as well as with the media um, that we're using to depict, sell, um, hide or or otherwise engage with with food. Um, And so so this helps us to think about gender, for instance, through questions of embodiment, affect, emotion, memory, um, those sorts of things. Um, but we do that beyond, including and beyond some of the ways that we that are conventionally associated with food cultures and digital food cultures. So we do have content on diet and health influencers and fitness and those sorts of things, for instance. But we also bring in and, and expand discussions of political masculinity and nation branding through the kind of unexpected register of food media, right? Those are not conversations that generally come together in digital media studies. We also have a lot of work that expands and thinks um, about food porn in Transgressive ways, in ways that think about the excess and the boundary pushing of what is the beautiful or the the delicious or or um, the the forms of consumption that we want to indulge in, and where's the line of where it goes too far, right? So those are interesting aesthetic questions um, that that are brought forward um, through. Our, our book as well um, and really kind of expand the scope of digital media studies um, and then really the as mentioned before the, the kind of transnational comparative examples and case studies really um, bring Instagram into a global conversation which is um, often not, not given as much um, light as, as it should be in our digital media, media studies which tends to think about these dominant platforms from the perspective of American or Global North users. So those are a few of the ways that I think we're really bringing the conversation of Instagram um, into new in new directions in digital media studies.
2: Right. So, uh, what do you think? Does the book also bring to conversations on food studies? So, I think our claim is that this book
0: opens up a, a rich invitation between food studies and media studies and shows what's possible uh, when we engage the theories the perspectives the methods um, from both fields to get to a much richer place so one way that we do that in our introduction is thinking about this language that's been a part of sort of food activism a farm to fork to waste um, thinking about a food system um, thinking about it as a series of networked nodes right a bit more complicated than just a simple supply chain and so we apply That metaphor, that system to Instagram itself, to think about how it produces um, a rich and complicated um, and sometimes contradictory um, visual food ecosystem um, by bringing that network analysis to thinking about how these images of food circulate, produce meaning, um, and are a significant part of driving our food system. I think, as a part of that analysis, we got to this rich place of realizing and being able to argue that. Instagram isn't just about representation. It's not just these beautiful images of food that have aesthetic conventions um, of representing a food world, perhaps more beautiful than it actually is as a sort of dominant way of seeing. Um, but that that visuality, that process of representation, um, is producing the food system that we have, whether it's driving the way farmers want to represent their labor and their final products, the way that food influencers um, show us cooking, um, and their various food processes, um, that this idea of the frictionless food fantasy that we get to consume as we scroll through these images, um, that there's always, right, more complex stories about power, about access, about inclusion and exclusion um, that these images are showing us. And then I think similarly um, to our question thinking about, you know, the visual analysis as one of the key methodologies is also this focus on the gastronomic, on the sensuality of food, um, of having these be chapters, some written by media studies scholars, um, where we encouraged every author to think about ingredients and flavors and preparation techniques and what things look on the plate, how they taste, um, how they are part of histories and heritages, um, that these are all uh, sort of typical foundational food studies insights um, to never forget the the materiality and the sensuality of food, um, and that even as it is circulating in a digital space in these digital ways, um, that we're able to have a book that captures sort of all, all of that feeling and all of that meaning when it comes to food.
2: Hmm. So uh, how do you see the platform contributing to new food trends and particularly the creation of new food ideas designed for the camera more than for taste buds? <laughs>
0: So we chuckle a little bit that we finally, right, published this great book on food Instagram. (laughs) And the social conversation, right, and the platforms our students are especially using have moved on to TikTok, um, where there is a similar but also different, right, sort of food media culture circulating. Um, But I think one of the things we're proud of is that the book thinks about this much longer trajectory of food porn and thinking about the aesthetic style that was created, you know, in food cinema, on food television and glossy food magazines that really um, takes root in the food blogosphere in the early 2000s and then, of course, explodes and proliferates when it comes to food Instagram. That this world of incredibly beautiful, seductive images um, aligns with this concept of Instagramability, right? images worthy of being captured and shared on the platform. And so we write in the book about the shift to sort of anti-food porn of at first young audiences and then of of course, other users as well, resisting those norms that came to be hegemonic, right, of what foodborne, ability, beautiful food looked like, um, to be able to create different kinds of food imagery and different food possibilities. And so we see TikTok very much within that trajectory, um, that it's just this continuation of being able to create food content um, and increasingly um, maybe ways that feel more authentic, more amateur compared to the auteur, um, more everyday than the commercial aesthetics that Instagram had sort of codified. Um, So we find that lineage really interesting. Um, But I know and we've talked about this a lot. I know she has other ideas here, too. Yeah. yeah, I think that Emily's really drawn out
1: why it's so important to always think about Instagram as part of a bigger media ecology, that it's a platform that exists in relationship with all of these other uh, media you know, platforms and therefore different styles of communication. So, so as much as, as t- TikTok has a different food aesthetic, it arises because of Instagram's dominant way of representing, you know, a particular ideal of how food should look. Um, so I think that that's something that, you know, that's still Instagram relevant. Um, and so I think that's, that's very helpful, but, you know, um, it, it, food Instagram is really thinking about, you um, What are the large scale impacts and kind of expectations put on our food industries as much as individual users and consumers? So so how is it that restaurants have really reshaped themselves through a very high engagement with with Instagram, as as we point out in the book, you know, between 2010 and 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 to the end of that decade, 2020, um, a vast majority of U.S. restaurants had a presence on Instagram as one of their places where they market and draw in audiences and and consumers, like something like 90%, you know, had regularly updated Instagram accounts. And that was, that's really, really key to their marketability. Um, And so that therefore changes what that restaurant looks like, um, and how it conveys it how it communicates what a kind of place it is not only the food that it has but why you want to come there for the experience of food in that space so lighting um, decor wallpaper design the kinds of visuality of the outdoor walls and all of the photo opportunities that come with eating at a place um have have contributed to reshaping our food cultures so that 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 includes what's on the menu, right? So um, a couple of our authors um, contributing uh, an analysis from France, they talk about traveling around Europe and asking in a few different instances for a dessert menu and the recommendations of the waiter. And and the waiter would say, and they heard many times the waiter say, well, you know, this is perhaps the most delicious dish, but this is the most Instagrammable or the one that's most beautiful, right? And so those kinds of expectations that people are looking for something that is as visually appealing as it is tasty, those are shifting the boundaries to an extent of what constitutes food in the post-Instagram era. Um, so, so quite a number of our authors really think about how is what are the foods that are invented with that camera lens in mind. So one of our chapters um, looks at the the creation of the, the Unicorn Latte, um, which was initially um, a drink created by a small Brooklyn cafe, just one little place, independent owned cafe that created this very visually appealing drink using all kinds of, you know, powders and, and different ingredients to make it look very colorful and beautiful. And so they advertised it on their Instagram and in their social media. And that very quickly became a place of contestation with Starbucks, which created its own unicorn um, Frappuccino that was widely publicized and was People sort of put it under the same category or started calling it a unicorn latte. And so it led to actually a legal battle over IP. Who gets to own this very, very visually attractive drink that many people sort of said, well, it doesn't even taste that good. But look at how well it photographs. And so that's just one example of many. Another chapter looks at the development of freak shakes in um, uh, an Australasian cafe chain, cafe patisse. um, which are you know up to fifteen hundred calories? These monstrously huge creations with many many layers and lots of syrups and cake layers and ice cream and all kinds of things going into them that many patrons would buy them to photograph and not even to eat because they were more than you know a single meal's worth of of, of nutrients right there or calories at least. Um, and so so there are all kinds of ways in which the visual expectations are shifting food cultures and that is very that continues to be re- relevant even as other platforms are developing different um, food aesthetics.
2: Continuing our conversation on food aesthetics, uh, what would be some of the less discussed or surprising ways that power structures shape this content and aesthetics of food Instagram?
0: So I think two examples that I think of immediately, we have one chapter thinking about the long history of feminist restaurants, uh, communicating with the communities that dine with them, and thinking about what's similar and what's different from the more analog world of cookbooks and newsletters, um, calendars, right, other, you know, Uh, paper goods that would be passed out, mailed out a part of the restaurant versus the work that's done on Instagram. Um, And one of the points that Alex Ketchum raises in her chapter um, is the significant extra digital labor that Instagram requires of constantly producing content um, and of um, an emotional labor in developing a following, responding to comments, responding to problems, you know, interacting with all of your followers in your community. Um, that it actually places a fair amount of time and energy and um, affective emotional expectations upon these business owners um, as they use Instagram as the way that they market their businesses um, and connect with their consumers. So I think that's one way of thinking about how the expectations of Instagrammability and beautiful images um, puts quite a lot of pressure on all restaurants of all types um, to be able to sort of reach that expected standard of how we represent food on the platform. And then another one that comes to mind, right, like sometimes we think of, um, you know, this more negative or uh, spaces within food Instagram that are ripe for critique, um, but another chapter that comes to us from Robin Caldwell um, looks at how the space of food Instagram and hashtags like black girl cooking. Um, were ways to be able to sustain community, um, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic when we couldn't cook together, be in actual physical community together um, because of the distance physically between us, um, but to still maintain that community through recipes, through food, um, through um, particular ingredients or particular dishes that had um, significant meaning. And then also the hashtag, right, Being able to cultivate that between users. Um, Um, And so thinking about whether those photos are a beautiful food or a beautiful um, sort of community building, um, not just during the pandemic, but also thinking um, about the, you know, global, you know, sort of racial reckonings following the murder of George Floyd, um, of thinking about the incredible possibilities um, of uh, Instagram for community building Um, that I think, you know, when we think about the subtitle of the book, right? Identity, right? Of using Instagram as a space to be able to communicate one's own identity, but also to create those affective bonds um, among social groups um, to create influence. And then also this last, you know, sort of section with negotiation of the various ways um, that users and communities are able um, to deploy Instagram, to use, manipulate, reimagine Instagram against even, you know, what the platform and its affordances and its business propositions would necessarily invite us to use. So those are a couple of examples as we think about where aesthetics and power meet um, and took us to very surprising places. Um, I think I can't help but share one more. I know Xenia and I both really love Jocelyn Anderson's chapter um, on farmers who are not just talking about how they use Instagram to connect uh, with consumers at the farmer's market. Market or to join CSAs, you know, with beautiful bucolic images of farms. Um, But the idea of the farmer dark gram, these private accounts where they are in, you know, much smaller networks of farmers facing similar challenges, to be able to use Instagram Mm -hmm. as a space to build community, to get help, to get support um, when your crops fail or, you know, some small disaster or large disaster happens um, that you don't want to sort of share with the consumers who might not understand you know all of the ins and outs of sort of agrarian life Um, and so that's a really interesting example to think about how these farmers you know have multiple accounts one where they're you know broadcasting a particular bucolic imagery um, that's a part of marketing and a part of an imaginary of um, global life of agrarian production of farming and farmers and knowing where your food comes from in this sort of commercialized and almost romanticized sense and then the real world um, of farming and agriculture and the challenges that that brings
2: mm-hmm. so uh, how important are transnational linkages in both the production as well as distribution of food and digital media
1: so central um and this
0: is They're this is so again important i'll let me jump <laughs> yeah. in though i know she has tons of great things to say here
1: yeah, these uh, as as we discussed, I mean, this is why we developed our our very original and interesting um, framework for thinking about digital food media through the feed supply chain. Um, so, in terms of uh, thinking about the transnational. Um, linkages and frameworks for understanding both food media and food industries and digital media specifically, and then all the places where they intersect. This is precisely why we developed the framework that we did of the the um, digital food, digital media um, feed chain. I'm sorry, I screwed that up. Let me start over. <laughs> now I'm a little bit thrown. Okay. Um, So this is a very interesting question, um, tracing the transnational linkages that comprise both our food industries um, and everything that goes into them and and, and our digital media um, as as very much globalized um, cultural and economic institutions. And this is why we developed the framework that we did um, in the introduction for talking about these things, where we think about um, the digital Supply chain, um, and and the fact that there is no way to isolate a single food product, nor um, any aspect of digital media, as Strictly local, or as strictly a national product, um, all of the examples that we look at are in some way, you know, transnationally embedded, and that's not necessarily in production. Some of our our um, chapters look at very very local forms of production. So some of our, our farm chapters, for instance, um, as mentioned, the the local um, very local communities formed um, on the farmer dark gram, um, but also we have a chapter that looks at um, happy meat producers um, as defined by our author in Australia who are using um, very locally based narratives about raising animals in ethical and very environmentally friendly ways on their farms in order to counter um, ideas about all meat as sort of industrially factory produced and, and, and deeply cruel systems. And so we have many, many people telling very local stories um, about food on on. Instagram. But these things end up circulating, you know, much beyond local or national borders. And so that's one of the ways that we always have to think about um, how, how distribution affects the geography of food Instagram. Um, but there's also underlying Instagram as a platform. There are all sorts of transnational labor um, that go into keeping the feeds um uh, full. <laughs> so uh, everything from content moderators to the engineers to um, to the the, the transnational um, cable systems that maintain the internet. All of these layered global geographies are intrinsic to keeping food Instagram going. So as much as as, as um, globalization is a cultural and economic transformation that brings us together through these increasing flows and forms of interdependence, we see at the level of um, representation and cultural production we see these efforts to sort of therefore reinscribe local and national identities so within this very interdependent and transnational economy that we're in, how is it that social media platforms open opportunities for really defining this is here this is now, this is me um, and uh, or this is my community or this is my food or this is how we um, identify um, as through forms of like home traditional cooking in Italy or in Denmark or in Brazil, um, those are a lot of the questions that that we explore, and um, and so it's it really digs into that tension between um, between a, a, a global e- political economy of digital media and then very locally rooted um, food. I- cultures, um, which nevertheless are part of um, broad global food networks. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, So let me ask you a different question. Uh, What would be some of the themes from the book that you aren't usually asked about?
0: Um, I'll say I think some of the things um, that we've thought about since doing this book is thinking about the pace of academic publishing um, and the interesting mismatch with how very quickly digital media changes, evolves, responds uh, to changes within its ecosystem as, you know, one platform changes, others follow. Um, That thinking about uh, sort of digital publishing innovations, right, as we think about how we as academics cover these topics um, at the pace at which these industries are innovating and changing, Um, but then similarly a slower story of thinking about how Instagram is also a part of creating an archive as we think about what stories uh, will be able to be told about our contemporary, you know, digital food media moment um, as we look to the historians of the future and the vast array of content they'll have to pull from as we think about grid images and stories and highlights and um, reels, right, sort of copying TikTok. And, you know, whatever else comes next, particularly as Meta's business model and success or not, you know, continues to fluctuate, Um, that I think that interesting tension between the past, present and future of these apps, how we study them, um, how we capture them, how we understand the meaning that they are making uh, with consumers in industry, how they're shaping our broader sort of food media moment um, are things that we're continuing to think about for sure.
1: I, I, another thing that really strikes me, especially as we've been talking about the book for, for many months since it's come out, with many in conversation with many of our contributors as well, is the deep self-reflexivity that pervades all of the work that went into the book and that continues to constitute us as social media users. So, for instance, um, we have a couple of contributions um, uh, that are, we call them, are, are sort of more um, applied chapters. One is about the use of Instagram in the classroom. Right. And food Instagram in particular as a very vital mode of teaching and having students think through and engage through their senses. Right. And think about how to digitally engage with all of the other embodied, affective, sensory experiences that go along with food culture. Um, So Sarah Tracy writes about um, different experiences teaching food media in in different college level classrooms and, um, and the kinds of experimental approaches that she and her students take to sort of charting, recording, um, ethnographically engaging with the meaning of food, um and food as media. Um, And then we also have a a fabulous uh, chapter from um, Casey Highsmith, who who really embodies that self-reflexivity and and makes it explicit in her chapter by writing about what it means to both, in her case, be a food influencer on Instagram. Um, She had a very huge following um, as a food stylist and and, and, um, and baker and maker (laughs) um, and food photographer. And she also is doing a PhD in American studies where she is studying a lot of um, uh, the the cultures of Instagram. And so she is able to talk across those roles that many of us inhabit, but don't necessarily think through each other. So we, you know, Emily and I have have social media presences and and perhaps because we study this, we're a little more attentive to it than the average person. But we're all both consumers and makers of content to to varying degrees. Um, We all, for instance, we all cook food at some level. We all consume food, and it often overlaps with our our social media usage. And so that kind of self reflexivity, uh, we tried to capture that um, and draw it out in in our, the, our different contributions in the book. And it's really. Um, really, uh, captured in the cover of the book, which was a collective effort between Casey Highsmith, uh, one of our writers, Emily and I, where we talked about like, what, what is the image that really speaks to everything going on in this book? And so Casey made the cake (laughs) and then stylized, um, through ongoing conversations with us, what, the presentation would look like. And so we have many different layered elements there that we have on the cover. It's a cake of an iPhone with a food Instagram image on it. So we've got a, a cake image on the cake itself Um, and and we've got other elements you know of that interactivity and self reflexivity depicted so we've got a knife that's cut a piece of this cake out really shattering any illusion that it's just pure image right we see the insides of the cake exposed to view um, and we see some of the tools used both to make the cake and then also to deconstruct it to make it consumable um, and and critically available to us Um, and we see all the different things that go into making, you know, an interactive um, food media experience. We see there's a little bowl of, of hearts, right, that are the likes that go into fueling that attention economy, um, but that also fuel the food economy in many ways. They're they're both attention economies um, that that overlap very significantly um, and increasingly so in the digital era. Um, so so those are so all of those things sort of speak to the the kind of self reflexivity that is a submerged theme across. The book that um, i'm always keen to talk about um, given any opportunity so thank you for that question
2: thank you last question Uh, what would be some of the things that you are working on now or maybe in the near future
0: So I'm working in the early stages on a new book um, called Like an Athlete, looking at how that idea of elite athletic performance has taken root all throughout American consumer culture post-1970, not just how we're supposed to sort of work out and dress out like athletes, but also eat and hydrate and recover and think and perform and be like athletes in all areas of our life um, as a way to critique sort of a cultural neoliberalism that has taken root at exactly the same time. Uh, I'm also just finishing up an open access textbook chapter in ad text about gender and advertising, thinking about how femininities, masculinities, and non-binary identities um, are being represented in historic and contemporary advertising and where we need to go to have a more just and joyful um, sort of advertising marketplace, what industry structures are continuing to be in place when it comes to gender. Uh, And then lastly, I wrote a a more personal essay sort of combining um, history and a little bit of memoir and experience of thinking about this tension when it comes to cooking, something that has always been this tension of like labor and leisure, a domestic drudgery and a specific kind um, of creative expression, right? Elements that definitely came out as we were editing the food Instagram book as well. Um, And thinking about how in my own life, that tension became buried um, when it came to things like academic burnout and uh, you know pushing out so many publications so quickly as we make that fight to, tenure of sort of where our food lives sort of lie within that. Um, So those are two pieces coming out soon and then a book, you know, far in the future, but things I'm very happy to be working on.
1: Uh, So in the realm of food media relevant work, um, I'm I'm developing several new projects on um, farm media, which is my real um, fascination um, and what brings me to all of this. Um, So I'm just wrapping up editing a special journal issue um, that looks at farm uh, media, that proposes the concept, the idea of farm media as a really vital analytic lens for thinking about the transformations of the farm um, right now through all of our digital technologies. Technologies that are creating the smart farm for everything from Wi-Fi enabled tractors to embedded sensors to um, the digitization of, um, of of the the vast food um, uh, supply chain um, through blockchain and, and other kinds of digital platforms. Um, so I'm thinking about what 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 is farming and uh, or what is communication? What are media to the farm? Um, and also, how has the farm always informed our our media our communication and uh, media industry so the very term broadcast right um, is is deeply embedded in the history of 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 um, of public media um, and yet that is originally an agricultural term and so when we look at the long history of both media communication and farming they're actually much more interlinked than um, than scholars in either realm usually think about so we're trying to build a new conversation for what media studies And and agricultural critical farm studies can can bring to each other. So I'm very excited about that. Um, uh, And and that includes looking at some of the new uh, food and agricultural technologies that Silicon Valley is developing right now and what it means to bring venture capital backed um, innovation into the realm of, of food and agriculture. How does it change what a farmer does and what a farm is and where a farm exists, right? What does it mean to move into vertical farms or to move food production from a cow, for instance, from, from, from full animals into lab-based cellular reproduction of parts of the animal. So the cellular reproduction of meat or, or milk and other things like that. So, um, so that, that is one area of scholarship that, that I'm moving forward. Um, another, uh, Piece that I'm working on right now is looking at the role of the tractor in um, the uh, Russia's uh, invasion of Ukraine and, and how Ukrainian farmers um, and um, and use both their equipment and their wiles to challenge um, the uh, imperial occupation of Ukraine right now, and also the impacts that that's having on the global food system by interrupting um, some major sub- uh, global supply of grains, fertilizer, and other agricultural inputs. That that come out of both Ukraine and Russia through the Black Sea Corridor. So I'm very interested in in, um, the intersections of food security um, and farming um, and and conflict right now. Um, And then I'm also writing a book on philanthropic media cultures.
2: Right. Of course, everything sounds very interesting and I wish both of you all the good luck and hope to reading more of your work in the near future. On that note, Thank you so much for this conversation. It was lovely speaking to you on your book. And I hope more of our listeners are able to read and enjoy the book after this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.